this is the in focus podcast from the hindu welcome to the hindus in focus podcast i'm zubeda hamid your host for today it's world wildlife conservation day this sunday december 4th and so perhaps an apt time to discuss one of the first animals most people think about in the context of our country our lions Speaking of big cats however there's another one now in the picture the eight african cheetahs that were brought in from namibia to the kuno national park in madhya pradesh in september to much excitement asiatic cheetahs that once roamed over large tracts of india were declared extinct in our country in 1952 their capture over the centuries hunting for sport and their killing for bounties all contributed to their extinction their last surviving population is in iran today Project Cheetah under which the animals from Namibia were brought to India aims it says to re-establish the ecosystem function role of the cheetah in representative areas of its former range and to restore open forests and savanna systems as of the end of November all eight cheetahs have been released from their quarantine zone into a larger enclosure within the national park as per news reports but while the cheetahs established themselves in their new home Experts have voiced concerns both over the aims and advisability of bringing the cheetahs into India and over the larger question of what happened to the original plan of housing our lions at the Kuno National Park. In 2013, the Supreme Court of India in an order had stated that the protection of Asiatic lions was a top priority and that they must be provided with a second home. The lions were supposed to go to Kuno National Park where the cheetahs now are. Our lions are at present found only in the Gir region of Gujarat and as such possibly vulnerable to threats there have been instances of disease outbreaks amongst them for example so what happened to the lion translocation plan how will the cheetahs help with the ecology of our country and how have conservation projects of endangered species progressed in our country as of this world wildlife conservation day to speak to us about this and more we have with us today Mr. Ravi Chellam, wildlife biologist and conservation scientist, who's currently CEO of the MetaString Foundation, coordinator of the Biodiversity Collaborative, and is closely involved with the development of the National Mission on Biodiversity and Human Wellbeing. Welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast, Mr. Ravi Chellam. Thank you, Zubeda. It's my pleasure. Sir, this September, India brought in eight African cheetahs to the Kuno National Park in Madhya Pradesh. Could you explain to us how the project to bring in cheetahs into our country came about and why? Cheetahs were part of our native wildlife. This was of course the Asiatic cheetah, a slightly different subspecies. And in 1947 it became locally extinct in India, primarily because it was hunted the British during the colonial period even announced the bounty cheetah habitats were converted into agriculture fields and so on the government officially declared it extinct in 1952 and more or less since then there has been some talk of wanting to get the cheetah back more recent research suggests that there were stragglers cheetahs occasionally seen and the last confirmed sighting seems to be in 1967 but these were really not viable population In the late 1960s and early 1970s India and Iran got into some high level discussion wanting cheetahs from Iran to India and Iran wanting Asiatic lions from India to Iran 
while this made some progress, political events in both sides, the deposition of the Shah of Iran, the declaration of emergency in India, kind of took precedence over conservation. And there ended that effort. Then in the late 80s and 90s, there was talk of trying to clone the Asiatic cheetah. The Center for Molecular, Cellular and Molecular Biology in Hyderabad was trying to take the lead on that. But that also did not succeed because Iran refused to give any genetic materials. Now to the latest set of discussions, which began sometime in 2009 and kind of culminated in a meeting in Gajaner and Rajasthan with national and international experts trying to figure out if it is feasible to bring and introduce African cheetahs into India. So that really is the genesis for where we are now. In a short span, I've tried to summarize the conservation history of cheetahs. So you said that there has been talk since around 2009. The Asiatic cheetah effort did not work out, so we decided to look into African cheetahs, a population that has never been, uh, a species that has never been before in India, correct? So why did we want to bring in cheetahs in the first place? What, what role do cheetahs play in our ecology, in our forest systems? The most often quoted reason is that this is the only species of large mammal that has gone extinct in independent India and thereby it becomes our responsibility to bring it back. But in conservation, we all know that if you want to introduce, reintroduce a species which has gone locally extinct, the first and foremost set of actions is to analyze the reasons for extinction, ensure that those reasons are no longer operating, and ensure that there is sufficient and suitable habitat available for the species that needs to be reintroduced. While the motive is laudable, the problem seems to be in the implementation side of things. Unfortunately, currently, India does not have the required amount of habitat in terms of scale, suitable habitat in terms of habitat structure, prey species and prey density for the cheetahs. Cheetahs are very low density species. They roughly occur at about one per hundred square kilometers. And to have a viable population of cheetah, you need anything from five to 10,000 square kilometers of suitable habitat. And India currently just does not have it. In terms of their role in the ecosystem, like other large cats, cheetah is a carnivore and it can be said in certain situations they are even the top carnivore. But both in Africa and India, there are very, very few habitats in which cheetahs are really the only top carnivore. They share space with leopards, with lions, in Africa with spotted hyenas and wild dogs. And India, where they've right now been brought to Kuno, there definitely is a very high density population of leopards. There is this occasional tiger that passes through. And of course, Kuno was also located uh, and ordered by the Supreme Court as the second habitat for Asiatic lions. So any role that cheetahs could play in the ecosystem can at one level more efficiently be, be played by either the leopard 
or the lion. So we are not in a situation where there is a vacancy in the ecosystem with the absence of cheetah. One of the stated goals of this project was to, uh, as we just discussed, re-establish the ecosystem function role of the cheetah and to restore open forests and savanna systems. How, how does this work, sir? Now, in terms of restoration of ecosystem function, first you need a viable population of cheetahs. The action plan which is guiding this project at this point of time is not inspiring confidence in terms of this role that the cheetah needs to play simply because the timescales that are involved, the number of cheetahs that the best case scenario predicts after 15 years, the action plan says Kuno can host 21 cheetahs. If you have only 21 cheetahs that are too restricted to Kuno, how is this species going to play an ecological role across open forest ecosystems in the country? Similarly, with respect to restoration, conservation, protection of open forest ecosystems, including grasslands, unfortunately, even today, the wasteland atlas of India categorizes most of such habitats as wastelands. It doesn't require African cheetahs for us to recognize the importance of these natural ecosystems and provide adequate legislative and policy support for their conservation. And the first thing that needs to be done is not categorize them as wastelands. Anything that you categorize as waste, you obviously are not going to view positively. You're not going to invest in its protection. So those are the kind of actions that is required. A bunch of African cheetahs coming and taking 15, 20, 30, 40 years are not going to either play an ecological role, in the short term at least, and definitely not going to lead to improved management of such habitats. How is the cheetah as a species, sir? Does it, does it breed well in captivity? Does it, um, you said at one point that it requires a large, large expanse of terrain that we don't seem to have at the moment. Uh, but is there a chance that this project could achieve the goal of 21 cheetahs in 15 years? Well, let's even assume, let's take that as given. Let's assume that is the way it's going to go. The challenge is, I mean, I'm looking at it only from a breeding perspective. Let's say 21 cheetahs, you arrive at in 15 years. The challenge is space. Kuno is only 750-odd square kilometers. On an average, a cheetah needs at least 100 square kilometers. And talking of density, home range size are in the 700-plus square kilometers. So there's just no space. If 21 cheetahs, as the population builds up, they're all going to go out, go into human-dominated habitats, get into conflict with people, run into roads, electric lines, feral dogs, stray dogs, livestock, all kinds of things that can prove fatal to these animals. Unlike leopards, lions, and tigers also, which can exist in much higher density because cheetah is the smallest and the weakest of the large cats, it adapts itself by living over largest expanses of land. So while leopards, lions, tigers can, anything from 5 to 10, 12 animals can exist in 100 square kilometers, uh, cheetahs can only barely be one. So that's their ecological adaptation to enable all of these species to live in the same landscape. 
But that's possible if you have expansive landscapes. And so you don't have that expansive landscape is why we are all very worried about the manner in which this project is being thought of, planned, and implemented. Moving on to another point you made, sir, about Kuno National Park that uh, being designated as the Asiatic Lion's second home. In 2013, the Supreme Court had said in an order that the top priority was to protect the Asiatic Lion species and provide them with a second home. And the lion was supposed to be translocated to Kuno, where the cheetahs now are. Why was this 2013 order not implemented? And are we sidelining our Asiatic lions uh, for African cheetahs? Now, the Supreme Court was very clear in its order. It said, and this order was passed on the 15th of April 2013, and it very clearly said that lions have to be translocated in letter and spirit within six months. So from 15th of April, it's 14th of October 2013. And we've gone past that in 2022, nine years down the line, and still it's not happened. The reason primarily is the intransigence of the state government of Gujarat, stemming from ignorance, stemming from some false sense of ownership and pride for the Asiatic line. If that same thing was to be extended, the lions actually evolved in Africa and through a process of natural dispersal came to India. If an African country then claims ownership over these lions, are we going to give it to them? And the judgment is very well argued. It is strongly based on science and conservation principles. And there's, in fact, a statement in the judgment says, no animal is the property of a state government. So the state government of Gujarat has, even from the 80s when I was doing my fieldwork, been not positively disposed to the idea of translocation. And the only reason we want to translocate and establish additional populations of lions is from a conservation risk perspective. When all members of an endangered species, the sole surviving population of an endangered species, is restricted to a single site, the risks that that species faces is enormous. It is only prudent to establish alternate population. And the risk is from disease, from natural catastrophes, from political decisions. The largest population of lions, which is in Serengeti and Mara ecosystem, 3,000 lions in the early 90s, faced a disease, canine distemper and babesiosis. And out of 3,000 lions, 1,000 lions died in a matter of weeks. And so this is not crying wolf. This is actual evidence. And India, the Asiatic lions also, we've seen fairly significant mortality since 2018 from canine distemper virus. So would you say that the Asiatic lion species is under threat right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is categorized as an endangered species. When you say endangered, it means it is facing threats. And that level of threat is heightened by the fact that all your eggs are in one basket. How many, how many do we have, sir? What is, what is our population of Asiatic lions currently? And what are the kinds of significant threats that they face? Disease is something you just mentioned. The official estimate from 2020 is 674, but almost everybody... Uh, who knows about lions is talking of 700 plus animals. At least 50% of these are not within the forest or any protected area. 
They roaming the agricultural rural landscape. They are often seen on roads. They are occasionally run over by trains and trucks and electrocuted, and they fall into open wells. Uh, so those are all the kind of risks from direct threat to their survival. Disease is by far the biggest threat because once disease sets, and we saw amongst human beings how COVID nineteen had an impact, and these can spread and they can really take a toll. The other thing is right now lions in human dominated habitats, the local people are tolerating because primarily these animals are killing livestock. They are not attacking people. But there have been instances when lions do attack people, and if those instances increase, I don't know how tolerant the rural population of Gujarat would be to have lions amongst their midst. Genetically, what is the issue, sir, by having them all concentrated in one region, as you said? There is not a genetic issue. I mean, there are some really, if you dive deep, there are some genetic issues, but that's really not the issue. The issue is on genetics operates over multiple generation. We are talking more in terms of weeks, months, years kind of time scales. Uh, the more we tempt fate by not translocating, it's like buying insurance. None of us buys insurance thinking you want to go to hospital tomorrow or you're going to die next week. You buy insurance to mitigate risk, and translocation, establishment of multiple population, is to mitigate risk. Let's not forget it's a standing order of the Supreme Court of India. Is India a society which abides by rule of law? Do we respect rule of law? Forget all the conservation principles and the science. It's an order of the Supreme Court of India. We just need to comply with it. What would happen if this translocation did take place? We would establish a secondary population of lions at Kuno. An additional population of free-ranging wild animals, and God forbid, if something happens to the population in Gir, you then have wild lions to repopulate Gir. Not only that, you talked about genetics. There's a process called genetic drift when populations are isolated. Their genome behaves slightly differently because they are not breeding amongst themselves. So, if there are negative effects of genetic drift, and you have two separated populations, those effects are also going to be different in different population, which again enhances your conservation prospects. Tell us a little bit more about conservation projects in India as such, sir. The lion project to conserve the lion species seems to have been very successful. As you said, now we have more than seven hundred lions. What are what are our other success stories? Could this you pointed out the difficulties to of replicating this for the cheetahs? Uh, are there any other success stories that we've had? I think India, if you look at it from both a large lens view and as well as something from nineteen forty seven post independence, if you look at how India has performed in conservation, I think we are amongst the best. Internationally, can we do better? We can do much, much better by orders of magnitude. Things have improved. Definitely, things have improved. But we will often make the mistake of looking at population size as a metric of success. Yes, it's an important parameter, but only using population size as a metric often leads us to false conclusion. In all cases, just having more is not the best situation to be in. And the lions are a good example. Three hundred fifty lions are 
outside in villages, towns, roads, railroad, railway tracks, and so on and so forth. Is that how you want to do conservation? Is that the best way to do conservation? Habitats are important. Connectivity of habitats are in, important. Involvement of local population is important. We need just conservation. Justice driving that. Conservation models which are inclusive of all knowledge systems, inclusive of non-government participants, inclusive of science. Science, local knowledge, tradition, those need to be driving forces for our conservation. And the only reason India has done so well is because in general, the Indian population has affinity towards nature. We have ways of coexisting. No other country that I know of has so many large, dangerous animals in rural landscapes and people in general are accepting of their presence. Yes, of course, every few days we hear about a leopard spotted in a village or a leopard spotted on a road or an elephant or even a tiger. And not to forget the lions. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit more about the translocation project for the lions as such. sir. You said that Kuno was the site that was designated for them, correct? Because Kuno has uh, adequate space? No, you should reel back a bit on the history of this. My PhD research through the Wildlife Institute of India was primarily to assess the feasibility of translocating lions. The idea was study the lions, get a handle on its ecology, and with that information, let's assess suitable habitats for reintroducing the lion. And this is Wildlife Institute of India. This is driven by the Ministry of Environment and Forest, as it was called then, Government of India, and the National Board for Wildlife. So, you know, you're having the best and constitutional bodies driving this project. So I did my fieldwork 85 to 90. I took my time writing up, but by 93, I had my results. And then 93, 94, I went with a team from the Wildlife Institute to survey sites, sites that were chosen in consultation with state forest departments. We surveyed, surveyed three sites, two in Rajasthan, Sita Mata and Dara Jawahar Sagar Wildlife Sanctuaries, and Kuno in Madhya Pradesh. And Kuno came out the top simply because of the large area. It was about 4,000 4, square kilometers of forest, of which at that point of time, the wildlife sanctuary was about four 500 square kilometers which has now been increased in size to about 750 square kilometers. Kuno had the habitat, which is suitable. It had the prey species, but the prey numbers, the prey density was low. And there were people living. And we suggested that because a new large carnivore is being introduced, people are not used to that. It might be useful and to initiate a voluntary resettlement program. And that was done with enhanced budgets to support their movement. So that's why Kuno was chosen based on size, availability of habitat, availability of prey species, but certain management interventions were required to increase the prey population. And all of that has been done. And for the, at least the last 10 years, Kuno has been more than ready. And as I said, the 2013 Supreme Court order, in some sense, it is we are duty bound to translocate lines. Was Madhya Pradesh part of their historical range? Very much. Lions used to exist as far east of Bihar and Bengal. Much of North India, including what is today Palam Airport, was uh, lion habitat. 
And till recently, we thought uh, the Narmada River was some kind of geographical barrier. But more recent research is suggesting that lions were even found south of the Narmada River. Going back a little to what you earlier said, sir, about our conservation efforts as a country, you talked about the importance of linking uh, of linking spaces, of linking habitats and sanctuaries. How how well are we doing with that? The National Wildlife Action Plan talks about landscape level conservation. In fact, talks about a lot of things. It's a fairly well written plan. It it brings in concepts related to participation, a lot of modern scientific thinking, but a plan is only as good as it's written on the paper if it is not translated into action. And that's where I think we face our biggest problems. Even some of our best sanctuaries and tiger reserves sometimes are subject to what is called as development needs. You you get a road cutting through it, you get a canal cutting through it, or you get a dam uh, being constructed in such kind of habitats. So there is a challenge. In terms of our conception of conservation and implementation of conservation. And conservation cannot be external to our daily lives or to development. Development and conservation should not be seen as opposing forces. Development has to have conservation as part of it, interwoven into its plans so that the impacts on nature, environment, wildlife, biodiversity and local communities of people are at least minimized and in a best case scenario, there are really no negative impacts on them. Unless we change that model of development, we can't say India needs to develop today. So for the next 10 years, we will develop and then we will conserve. That That's not an argument that in today's world we can make. We all know the threats of climate change, land degradation, erosion of biodiversity, loss of nature and unraveling of ecosystem functions. You see what's happening around you. And these are forces once unleashed. In in ecology, we talk of tipping points. Once these go beyond tipping points, whatever we do, the world will be beyond our control. To wrap up, sir, you spoke about the National uh, Action Wildlife Plan. How how are we doing with the other endangered species in our country? Are Are we doing well, for instance, with the Great Indian Bastard? We are not. It's a tragedy. The the situation with the Great Indian Bustard is a tragedy. It is all the more tragic that the reason given for some of the actions that have to be taken for the Great Indian Bustard is that they do not have funds. And that's why it also is such a contrast that for the cheetahs, which are actually an African animal, and there's no priority for us, it's not even mentioned in the National Wildlife Action Plan, we're able to find the resources but for the Great Indian Bustard, which has less than 150 birds in the world. That's the sum total of the global population. Cheetahs are 7,100. Okay? And this is native. Supreme Court order of 2021 April said that overhead power lines in Bustard habitat should be taken underground because one of the major causes for Bustard mortality is them flying into these power lines. Their habitats are taken over by solar panel, large-scale solar power projects, and then when they evacuate the power, they put overhead power lines. So, again, you know, there is a Supreme Court order. There are these sentiments and plans mentioned in the National Wildlife Action Plan, 
But when it comes to translating into action, we are failing badly. Okay, sir. Thank you so much for speaking to us today. Most welcome. My pleasure. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.